All right, so if I was preaching in Matthew this morning, we would be done. But I'm not. So it's going to have to wait till next year. I thought this morning we, um, yeah, I wanted to preach a Christmas message. Yesterday was Christmas. And so that's what I'm going to do. And I'm looking forward to it from John chapter 3. But before we do, let's pray together one more time. Father, I just pray that you would just remind us again this morning of the wonder of Christmas. Who you are and what you've done for us. Lord, just help us again feel the wonder of it, the awe of it, the glory of the word become flesh. Help us, Lord, today we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a Bible, you can turn to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, I am going to be preaching this morning on probably the most famous scripture passage uh, in the world in history. (laughs) That's John chapter 3, verses 16 and following. All right, right, y'all, here's your chance. What's John 3, 16? All right, I think most of y'all got it. That's pretty good. Not too bad. All right. God so loved the world that he gave his son. That's what Christmas is about. God gave his son to us. That's what I'm going to talk about this morning. For God so loved the world. So let's read it together. If you're able and willing, I invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. We're going to read John chapter... 3, beginning in verse 16 through verse 21. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. The Word of God. Let me see it. Okay. So, um, we're going to talk about this passage here. And we're going to basically answer two questions that are uh, addressed in this text. Number one, why God gave us his son? Why God gave his son to us? And number two, who the Son saves. Who the Son saves. So the first thing we want to look at this morning is why God gave His Son to us. So Christmas is, this is a Christmas text, even though we don't think about it. We're talking about why God gave His Son to the world. And so I'm just going to talk about several, a few reasons that are in this text. Number one, the first reason why 
God gave his son, John tells us, is because God loved the world. Now, we, we take that for granted, and a great danger today is presuming upon God's grace. You know, sometimes you might say to someone, you know, God loves you, Jesus loves you, and, and for many people, that's just like, you know, just like water off a duck's back. God loves me. Okay, well, whoop-de-doo. God should love me. I'm pretty great. Why wouldn't God love me? And we miss the wonder of this passage. When we say God so loved the world, we must remember that, uh, biblically speaking, it's not obvious at all, really, that God should love the world. Look at the world. Turn on the news. There's a lot of unlovely things going on. There's a lot of people with a lot of dark things in their hearts, including me and you. So when you look at the world, we, should re- we shouldn't think it's obvious. We, sometimes we should probably wonder, why does God even care about this mess? How much sin is in the world out there and in our hearts in here? And yet, the Bible says, God loves the world. God loves the world. That's amazing. Why does God love the world? Well, we can, we can look at Scripture and think about it, that God made everything, so everything belongs to Him. Everything owes its existence to God. The reason that everything exists is for God, by God, through God. And not just that, but it's clear in the creation account that humanity plays a special role within God's created plan and created order. In Genesis 1.27, it says God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and uh, God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then, after he created everything, in verse 31, it says, that God saw everything that he had made, and behold... It was very good. And there was evening and morning, the sixth day. So we see that God created everything. He created man unique among all his creatures as image bearers of God. And he gave them an an unbelievable calling to literally reign over the earth as his representatives and to spread his image and glory over all the world by being fruitful and multiplying and ruling the world in submission to God and his goodness and his wisdom. And so, and, and he, God looked over everything that he has made and then, and saw that it was very good. So when God looks at the world, especially before sin entered the world, behold, it was very good. So from the nuclear fusion in the stars to the mind boggling complexity of human DNA to a sunset over the Okmulgee River, God made it all. He made it all. It was good. The capstone of his creation is humanity. And we, and there are, if you understand, if you understand what he's, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, multiply, have dominion over us. The calling to which humanity has been called and made for is unbelievable. To reign for God, for his sake, for his glory. So if you understand the height of the calling of what it means to be human, Only then do you grasp 
how far we have fallen to rebel against the one for whom we were made. And so despite all the goodness of the world, we broke it. And yet, despite all the sin and rebellion and brokenness that we set in motion into this world, the Bible says, God loves the world. God loves the world. That's amazing. He loves the world so much, so much, that he sent his only son. You know, if you've ever, I read an interesting article. If you've ever read a a commentary about John 3, you virtually, virtually all modern commentaries will say something like this, that the word, when it says God so loved the world, the word typically means thus or in this manner. So it could be translated, God loved the world in this way or God loved the world in this manner. It's, it doesn't automatically, when we, in English it sounds like God loved the world so much, right? It's like an like a adjective, like a high degree. God loved the world so much. But in Greek it could mean God loved the world in this way he gave his son. It's slightly different. And most of your commentaries, if you read a commentary, virtually all of them will say, will point that out. But then I read a recent article that actually did an in-depth, this is interesting, y'all, Y'all don't think this is interesting. This is interesting. An in-depth Greek study about the, about the, about the use of this word with the verb love. And it turns out that the way the Greeks actually used it actually did mean to a high degree. So what does that mean? It means scholars can get it wrong. And it means too that God really did love the world so much to a degree so high that he gave his son. For us. He gave his son. That's how much God loves the world. Now, I don't know how many of you are just regularly giving away children for people who don't really care about you. But the Bible says Christ died for the ungodly. Not good people. The ungodly. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God so loved the world that he gave his son. The second reason why God gave his son is, it says there, is to save people from perishing. He gave his son so that whoever believes in him should not perish. In verse 17, he puts it this way. He said he did not send Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but the world might be saved through him. So verse 16 and 17 should be read together because it makes a pair, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So you got should not perish and have everlasting life. Then it says, uh, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So so should not perish and not condemn go together and uh, and then and then have eternal life and be saved through him go together. They parallel each other. Okay. So God sent his son into the world so that people would not perish. Now, you have to think about what that means. What that implies. If God sent his son into the world so that people would not perish, what does that mean? It means that the natural and fitting end to which everyone is destined apart from Christ is perishing. Or else, 
if, if that wasn't the case, then we wouldn't need Jesus. So what, what the verse itself implies is that apart from Jesus, we would all perish, which is clearly what, it, which is clearly what it's saying. The path that every human being is on apart from Jesus is the path to perishing. The place that Jesus himself described as a place where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. A place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Rebellion against an infinite God is worthy of infinite punishment. And that's where everyone, without exception, is heading. But God gave his son. God gave his son. God gave his son to do what? To save us from perishing. To give us a way of escape. To deliver us from our destiny. To deliver us from what we deserve. So that we would not be condemned. But be saved through him. So the second reason he gave his son was to keep us from perishing. And then the third reason God sent his son is to give us eternal life. Give us eternal life. This is just the opposite of of perishing. It's It's the last reason put positively. The opposite of perishing is eternal life. The opposite of condemnation is being saved through Jesus, verse 17. One of the reasons we know that punishment apart from Jesus is eternal is because life through Jesus is eternal. Nobody deserves eternal life. That's the point. I was was telling the boys in Sunday school this morning something to never forget about Christianity. Christians... Uh, Christians who've read their Bible know that Christians aren't better than anybody else. The only difference between Christians and everybody else is we're forgiven. That's the only difference. Don't make me better. Just means I'm forgiven. Because God made a way for forgiveness and I said, I need that. And so through faith and trust in Christ, God gave me forgiveness, not because I deserved it, but because it's a gift of God. That's what the Bible says, Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's, the emphasis there is on the free. It's a free gift. It's an undeserved gift. Sin leads to death. But what about forgiven sin? Well, forgiven sin means no death, eternal life. The forgiven sinner will live forever. Isn't that amazing? The forgiven sinner will live forever. Not because they deserve it. No, because they've received the gift of God through his son. It's a gift. John says, Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now, in the Gospel of John, eternal life is more than just living forever. I think it's John 17, 3, Jesus says, This is eternal life, that they know God, the Father, and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. Eternal life for John is more than just living forever. Eternal life for John is knowing God. If you know God, you have eternal life. Eternal life is having a personal relational, is having personal relational knowledge of God. 
which again in John's mind means that the believer can possess eternal life right now. If you're a believer in Christ, you have eternal life right now because you know God. And God knows you. And it's, it's, it's being brought into familial relationship with God himself. So it's not, it's not knowing about God. And this, this, so many people confuse this. Don't confuse it. It's not knowing about God. It's knowing God. Right? I could say, you know, I could say, uh, I could say I know the president, but if all I did was read his biography, I don't know the president. If I show up and knock on the White House door and someone comes up and I said, I know him. And he says, who? Guess what? I don't know him. Well, guess what Jesus said? Jesus said one day, I'm, I, I want to come. And people are going to say, I know him. I know him. Lord, 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 Lord. And Jesus is going to say, who are you? I don't know you. And so don't mix it up. It's not about, it's not knowing about God. It's about knowing God. It's about knowing God to the point to where he shows up and he sees you. He's going to say, hey, I know you. Remember all them conversations we had? Remember all them people that you served through my power? Remember all that time through fellowship? And we talked. I know you. So it doesn't matter if we say we know God, if he's going to show up and say, I don't know you. It's about being known, recognized, and acknowledged by God himself. That's eternal life. If you know God, you have eternal life. Forgiveness of sin, escape from his wrath, and the hope of resurrection life in a world free from sin. God sent his son to give eternal life to his people. So number one, why God gave his son. Number two, who the son saves. Let's read it again, verse 18. It says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So why God sent his son? Number two, who is it that the son saves? If you think about it, this is probably one of the most important questions that, uh, that you could ever ask in your life. Who is it that the son saves? If the fitting and natural consequence of everyone's sin is punishment in hell, then how can we escape that? How can we escape that? Well, thankfully, John, Jesus tells us the answer of course, it's remarkably simple. Who has eternal life? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. You say, Pastor, is it that simple? And I'll say, yes and no. Because <laughs> that's what pastors say. Yes and no. Yes, it is that simple. If you know what believe means. It is that simple. But it's not that simple because a lot of people don't know what believe means in a biblical sense. 
And so that's why we got to talk about it, and we got to keep talking about it because this happens all the time, and it's very subtle, and it's very dangerous, and we can't afford to mess this up. To believe in the biblical use of the term, as we've been talking about, is more than just intellectual assent, right? Anybody can say, I believe in Jesus. You knock on 95% of the doors in Dodge County, probably 99%, and they'll say, I believe in Jesus. Where is everybody? Where are they? Clearly, anybody can say, I believe in Jesus. But belief in Jesus biblically is not saying, I believe Jesus existed. You know why? Because James, Jesus' brother, said the demons believe that. Demons believe that Jesus is real. They know he's real. Guess what? There ain't going to be any demons in heaven. Because that's not what it means to believe. Mere intellectual assent or acknowledgement. Belief biblically, again, is what? It's, it's more like trust. It's personal. It's a relationship with God. It's knowing him and him knowing you. And it's trusting him and believing in him to the point that you're saying, God, I trust you. I believe in you. I believe who Jesus is. I believe what he has done. I believe he's coming back. I'm going to order my life around these things that I know to be true. When you tell me to do something, even when I don't want to do it, even when my desires and my flesh tell me to do the opposite, I'm going to trust you more than I trust myself because I believe you. I trust you. I'm following you. I know you and you know me. That's what belief is. Trusting in Jesus, following Jesus, knowing Jesus, and Him knowing you. So, yes, it is that simple. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Bank on Him. Put your hope in Him. Put your trust in Him. Look to Him who died and was raised for your sake. Surrender your will to him. Surrender your desires to him. Surrender your plan to him. Trust him more than you trust yourself. And he will lead you and guide you and honor that. And you will be forgiven. And he will see that faith. And all your sins will be wiped away as a gift of God. He'll welcome you into his family. And he'll lead you by his spirit and guard and keep you until that final day. So that when he comes, he'll say, mine, 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 mine. It really is that simple. Who does the Son save? The Son saves whoever truly believes in Him. Who trusts Him. Who takes Him at His word. Who surrenders to His kind and wise leadership. And whoever truly believes, you can bank on this. You will not perish. But you'll have everlasting life. Jesus said, He's not going to let a single one of his sheep go missing. He's going to make sure of that. Look at how this verse is applied in verse 18. It says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Now, now look at that verse. This is a very important one, verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Why? 
because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So according to this verse, what is it that ultimately condemns a person? Now, of course, there's lots of bad things. We could think of murder and sexual morality and theft and lying and stealing and so on. And these are all serious sins, but what does it say here condemns a person? Unbelief. Unbelief. You know, sometimes people say, well, you know, I'm not that bad of a person. I mean, well, compared to Hitler, nobody's that bad of a person. But Hitler's not the standard of righteousness, thank goodness. What condemns? It's unbelief. Unbelief is a sin. To not trust the greatest being in the world who made you and knows you and loves you is a sin. And we intuitively know this, even though sometimes it grates against our modern sensibilities. For example, if, you, if you've been a parent, or if you haven't been a parent for that matter, but if you've been a parent and you tell a child something, a little a, a five, six, seven-year-old child whose who's experience with the harsh realities of the world is about this big. And you tell them something and they look you in the face and they say, no. That's a sin. And we're rightly offended by that. Why? Because it betrays what? It betrays a lack of trust, unbelief, a denial. It is a denial. It is an implicit denial that you as the parent is, are not wiser than them, are not smarter than them, and don't care about them when they don't believe you. Unbelief is a sin. When we, as human beings, take our tiny little fists and shake them up at heaven and say, not thy will, but my will be done, we're betraying in our heart a lack of trust. We're saying to God Almighty, I'm smarter than you. You don't care about me and you don't know what's best for me. So I'm going to do me. Thank you very much. Unbelief is a sin. Whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. But whoever does believe Whoever does trust, whoever says, you know what, God? Me doing me hadn't worked out too great. And deep down in my heart, I know, I've known this whole time that what I've been doing is wrong. And I've been too proud to admit it because it's hard to say I was wrong. But you know what, God? I'm tired of it. And the truth is, I was wrong. I've been wrong. I've been living my life for me, and it's enough. And so, please forgive me and change me for Christ's sake. Whoever believes will not perish, but have eternal life. It's a gift of God. And then finally, John goes on to talk about the judgment, verses 19 to 21. He says, this is the judgment. And he uses this cryptic language about light and darkness. But if you think about it, it makes perfect sense. 
uh, it might be a little confusing because we don't use judgment like this all the time. And, but the, the judgment here seems to be referring to the, the means or mechanism by which uh, a, a decision is made. To judge in this sense means to weigh what is going on and to decide between the available options. Sometimes we say that uh, we need to exercise good judgment. That means you're looking at what is there and there is some kind of criteria which determines what's on this side and what's on that side. And Jesus said, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. Now, if you go back to the very beginning of the Gospel of John, in verse, chapter 1, verse 9, it says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. John is clearly talking there about Jesus. Jesus is the light. Which means that Jesus is the judgment. Jesus is the judgment. Christ is the line in the sand. Christ is the light. They say when you flip on the light, the roaches run. Christ is the light. The light came into the world. Everything that doesn't like the light, when you turn on the light, they start running. Jesus is the light. He is the judgment. He's the line in the sand. When Jesus Christ came into the world, the second Jesus Christ came into the world, the whole world was divided into two. Either you trust him or you don't. Either you believe in him or you don't. There is no in between. This is the judgment. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light, because their works were evil. Why do people reject the light? It says because they love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. So, this verse is huge because it tells us the root issue. The root issue, the root issue is not what you do. That's the, that's the symptom. The root issue is what you love. What do you love? You sin because you love your sin. The root issue is not what we do, it's what we love. We are what we love. If you love darkness and you have evil works, John says, you will hate the light and refuse to come to the light because your works will be exposed. Why did Jesus... Why, uh, Excuse me, why did the religious leaders hate the greatest man who ever lived? You ever thought about that? Why? How's that possible? It's because the light came into the world. Because he called, he had the nerve to call them out on their hypocrisy and their sin. And it made their blood boil. You see, that's the light. When, when Jesus came in and brought a standard of righteousness that they fell short of, when that happens to you, you either do one of two things. You either hate the person who pointed it out to you and get mad about it and try to justify yourself, or you say, you're right. 
you're right. I'm wrong. And I need to change. And you see, what happened during the life and ministry of Jesus? We see exactly what happened. The religious leaders said, who do you think you are? And the tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners said, Jesus, you're right. And Jesus looked at all these people who the religious leaders thought were so bad. And he said, you see them? They're going to enter the kingdom of God before you. Because God didn't come to save the righteous but sinners. That's what Jesus said. You hate the light. People who love wickedness hate the light because they don't want their works to expose, to be exposed. Jesus exposes the darkness. He comes and he calls sin what it is. If you love your sin, you don't want to be exposed. Nobody wants to be called bad, but the fact of the matter is, is we are. That's why the gospel is offensive. The, 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 the gospel summary of Jesus' message that it says in the gospels is that the, the, the summary that of the message that Jesus preached was, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Well, when someone tells you to repent, what are they saying? They're saying something's wrong and you need to change. That was Jesus' fundamental message. You need to change. You need to get ready. You need to turn from your sins because the kingdom of God is here. He exposes darkness. Nobody wants to be exposed, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. When you bring things out into the light, when you bring it out into the light, when you have the courage to admit that you've been wrong, and you bring it out into the light, the light has a withering effect on your sin. And God can begin to work, work on you and change you, but you've you, you got to bring it to the light. You've got to confess it. You've got to acknowledge it. If you sinned against someone, you got to just go to them. No matter how much it hurts your pride, just say, hey, look, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? How many relationships that have been broken for decades could literally be healed right this second if, they, if someone walked out this door and said, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? That's literally all it takes. When you bring it into the light, God can deal with it. When you bring it into the light, God can fix it. But you got to bring it into the light. This is the judgment. This is the line in the sand. It can be hard to admit that you've been headed in the wrong direction. And the, the, the human temptation is to just double down and say, I'm not wrong, they're wrong. But when you bring it into the light, you no longer have to hide in the darkness. And guess what? When you have a clean conscience before the Lord, you're free. You're free. Doesn't matter what anyone else does out there, you're free. Because you've done what the Lord has called you to do. So why did God give his son? He gave his son to draw a line in the sand. He gave his son to save people who were perishing from condemnation and from hell. He gave his son in order that forgiveness might be given as a free gift to sinners who don't deserve it. He gave his son to save the world. 
It's a gift. It's a gift. But you have to receive it. And it's received by faith. And so this Christmas, you might have got some really great things from Christmas, but the truth of the matter is, if you don't have the gift of forgiveness of sins, it doesn't matter. It don't matter. You can receive the greatest gift that has ever been given today if you don't know Jesus. You can turn from yourself. You can turn to him. You can trust him. You can say in your heart, in your heart, you can say it right now, Jesus, I've been wrong. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And I believe as sure as you hear my voice right now, Jesus can speak directly to your heart and say, my child, I forgive you. I forgive you. Come on home. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gift you gave to us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me, for forgiving us. And I pray, God, that you would forgive others still and bring them into your family, that together we may serve and worship you together. So, Lord, forgive us of our sins. Thank you for what you've done for us. And, Lord, maybe somebody today, maybe somebody today in their heart has forgive forgiveness, has received forgiveness for the first time. Lord, we rejoice. And we praise you. You are worthy this Christmas and every day of our all our honor and glory and praise. And we give it to you in Jesus' name.